can't believe I'm gonna fucking say this. You guys ready to have some Skella fun today? <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. It's still funny. It's so awkward. It's so awkward. But it's really good. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> I'm ready to have some Skella fun. I'm glad we I'm glad we laughed at that. <laughs> uh, if you're listening, which you are, you're listening to Drunk and Uncultured. We are a drinking problem disguised as a podcast and here to get... Spooky and have all the booze. Yep. Um, if you follow our Instagram, you will have seen what we bought today. And we were here to trick oh treat yourself. Thanks for that pun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that um, was a good one. I'm honestly, very impressed with that. Just be prepared for all of the Halloween puns today. Um, yeah, Stephanie said we are alcoholism disguising as a podcast, disguising as an excuse to just get drunk. That. You literally just did the same thing no, twice. No, I went in a circle. <laughs> <laughs> Took it a full 360 degrees. Uh, so, um, obviously, it is October, and um, we're getting spooky. We're getting so spooky. And you can't, point? ooh, you can't skella run from my skella puns. <laughs> you know, I like you because you're kind of corny. <laughs> Oh, God. Okay. Okay. Let's not talk about this anymore. <laughs> Ooh, there's a good one. What? What do you get when you drop a pumpkin? Squash. <laughs> All right, we're done now. Okay, that was... Remember how you start crying? I'm starting to cry. <laughs> Apparently, I only cry at super bad dad jokes. <laughs> oh, All right. man. <laughs> So we're doing um, a two-part uh, Halloween special. It's not really a two-part episode. We're doing it's just two Halloween, two Halloween episodes. Yes, yeah, that's that's the correct way to have said that. Um, yeah. So what are we drinking? That is what we're doing. <laughs> that is what we are here to do. A Halloween special is the thing that we are doing today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So today we're drinking. Um, White Oak Highlight or From Cigar City JLA, as our former, former Aaliyah. Aaliyah likes to say. <laughs> oh, she's never living that down. <laughs> so we got the White Oak. Um, I think it's technically barrel aged. Maybe not. I might be making that up. It's White Oak Highlight. I think it's barrel aged. I, I would assume know. that's why they're calling it White Oak, but sure. Doesn't say barrel aged, but does it? I don't know what that says. I can't read it. Rested on white oak. What the fuck does that mean? Means they put the beer on some white. <laughs> they oak. canned the beer and then set it down on some white oak and then called it white oak. Sure, that technically does mean rested on. <laughs> it does white oak, but no, I'm I'm pretty sure this is like a white oak barrel they put aged the beer something to nap after it was born because it was sleepy and baby beers need naps and it rested on white oak. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. I just, Where I, did that come I from? Don't know. <laughs> the same place as your bad puns. Those came from the internet. Yeah, that didn't come from the internet. That came from my brain. Um, yeah, so we're drinking white oak, and then at some point in the day, you're probably going to hear Stephanie go, ooh, that's good. 
And that will mean we have switched to juice pants from Maplewood. Hashtag yes. thanks Maplewood. So um, juice pants is a family. You got to stay woke to the pants. That's not even funny. Well, it's funny. But that's not Steph being funny. That's her that's what reading the web- off the I'm website. literally reading off of the Maplewood website. <laughs> so reading off of it, it's the Pants family is their posse of healthily hopped IPA. Some are limited releases. Some are year-rounders. Um, but essentially, I'm just going to read you the chapters because they have great names. It also says, put your juice pants on. It's going to be a juicy ride. Yes. They use juice too many times in that statement. <laughs> so um, juice pants chapter one uh, was called the juicening. Chapter two was return of the juice. Chapter three, the passion of the juice. The passion of the juice. Chapter four was juice and pants, excellent adventure. Chapter five, license to juice. Chapter six, journey to the pit of the stone fruit. Chapter seven was juice pants goes to college. Chapter eight, uh, juice pants takes a lover. Chapter nine, juice gets juice on his own juice. And then my personal favorite name is uh, chapter 10, death of juice pants. So right now we're doing Juice Pants Can, and according to their website, Juice Pants Can, after Death of Juice, was summoned from the pits of hell. Juice Pants walks this earth again, shedding his glass shackles of old. Um, And this is the first time it's ever um, been available in cans. And do you want to say where it was located? Or where you could have picked it up? Can pick it up, I guess? Oh yeah, you can get it at, at the Maplewood Lounge. You can get it at retailers, watering holes, and graveyards. Yep, so... Hashtag resurrection. Hashtag daddy's home. <laughs> yeah, we've decided to call this chapter whether or not Maplewood's cool with it. We've been calling it daddy's home. Yes, because Juice Pants is the father to the son of Juice. Yeah. Um, so in this case, Juice Pants is daddy, and he is home because he died. And now he's, now back. he's back. He Now he's been resurrected. So yeah, hashtag... Ha- hashtag. Hashtag thanks Maplewood for canning this Um but we're not drinking that yet. We will be. Just we wanted be. to let you guys know what we will be drinking for when Stephanie stops licking the top of her can. I have beer on the top of it. Leave me alone. And changes to Maplewood. The fuck was that? I just look over and you're like. I got beer on top of the can that I was trying oh, to get. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> not just licking the can top, you weirdo. Um, do you want to intro the topic? Or yeah. Do you have anything else? Oh, let's talk about the book club real quick. Oh, yeah. Book club. So... It's a thing we're doing. Yep. We previously mentioned it last episode. We are reading The Bad Seed by a guy whose name I do not remember. Just look up The Bad Seed book. Hold on. We have the internet. William March. So, we are reading the 1954 novel The Bad Seed by William March. And we will talk about it next episode. So read it if you would like to be part of this book club with us and hear about us being slightly more cultured than normal. Um, or, you know, don't read it and go fuck yourself. All right. Um, so do you want to intro this topic? Yes. So we've talked about doing this before and we mentioned doing this. I believe we talked about it on our conspiracy theory yep. episode that we were going to do this. Um, it was some point during Halfway to Halloween. Yeah, we mentioned it during that month. That we, yep. and I think we talked about it on episode. I know you and I talked about it a lot. Yeah, I we don't were know. Trying, during the like haunted things episode, we were trying really hard not to move into this direction because everything we were looking into started moving this direction. Yep. But today we are talking about serial killers. Yes. So um, Stephanie and I both 
came up with a few serial killers that we wanted to look up and um, learn about. For me, I picked one that I really, really am interested in. Like, it was my favorite ser serial killer. Um, and then two lesser-known ones, but are still very interesting. So, um... Before we get into this, I do want to, like, quickly, like, go to a... a discussion point um why are people obsessed with serial killers because you think about it like i listen to podcasts about serial killers there's tv shows about serial killers like people are obsessed with them in my opinion i think it's just interesting to get into like the psyche of something that you would never personally do like i think of this like the the background and why what happened in people's lives to make them yeah or to to fuel this um, is what's interesting to me. So, I mean, a lot of it, I think, is related to... Um, they're, like, real-life horror stories mm -hmm. that were, like, a, you know, scared it's people happened. as kids. Yeah. It's, like, a real-life horror story. And it yeah. inspired a lot of, like, the horror that I know we watch. Yes. And I think people just like being scared. I mean, yeah. I don't, but... <laughs> I am a huge wiener and hate being scared... As is evident by the fact that I turned down an invite to go to a haunted house tonight because I am too scared. All right. And a lot of people are just like, people don't admit it, but people are just drawn to like the morbid parts of the serial killer stuff because you know people are really into like, it's just moving as like a trend in society like with horror in general of like, we gotta get scarier. We gotta get more gory. More, to oh, essentially to the point of going to torture Well, porn. we're becoming, like, desensitized yeah. to Yeah, so we've gotta get the next level of yeah. fear. And, I mean, a lot of the serial killer stuff is pretty fucking scary. Yeah. I do also think that we probably should have put a trigger warning in at the beginning of this episode that this shit's gonna get dark. It's about serial killers. It's gonna get dark. So, trigger warning... Some of this shit's gonna be real bad. Yeah. We're gonna talk about rape, assault. Murder. Murder. Um, torture. Pretty much anything that you would Assume hear in a, like, yeah. a true crime. Yeah. So, um, just be ready for that. Yeah. Cue true crime, drunk and uncultured. Drunk and uncultured, true crime edition. <laughs> okay. So, I'm gonna start with somebody um, that was known as the Butcher Baker. His name is Robert Christian Hansen. Um, he was born in 1939 and was active um, in the early 70s, um, between the early 70s and 80s. So basically between uh, 1979, or 1971 and 1983, he abducted, raped, and murdered at least 17 women in the Anchorage area. So he was based out of Alaska. And... I guess just, like, as a background for him, he's called the Butcher Baker because he owned a bakery in Alaska. Um, but some background, he hunted them in the wilderness with a rug, ruger, ruger, a gun and a knife. <laughs> Not gonna try. Um, and then he was arrested and convicted in 1983 and sentenced to 461 years in prison with no chance of parole. Um, so he was born in Iowa and the interesting part to me is like learning about their early lives. Mm -hmm. Um, right. so he was skinny and painfully shy. He had a stutter and severe acne. And because of that, he was shunned by uh, the attractive girls in school and he actually grew up hating them and nursing fantasies of cruel revenge against them. 
Um, and so, like, the main thing I looked up was kind of how he was brought to justice. There's not a ton on the women that he killed. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in, on June 13th, 1983, Cindy Paulson, one of his um, attempted victims, escaped from him while he was trying to load her into his car. Uh, she told the police that he offered her $200 for oral sex, but then he pulled a gun on her and drove her to his home. Wow. Um, at his home, he held her captive there, where he raped, tortured, and sexually assaulted her. She described a time where he chained her by the neck to a post and then took a nap on the couch. After that nap, he woke up and like transferred her into his car and said he was going to take her to his cabin. Um, and... She waited it out while he was getting a plane ready that he owned um, and escaped while he was getting it ready. She took her shoes off and ran to like a main street and was picked up by a passing truck. They took her to a motel. Um, she walked into like the lobby area and begged to use a phone mm-hmm. to call her boyfriend at a different motel. And the receptionist essentially ended up calling the cops and they came and <clears throat> they like picked her up. She was barefoot had handcuffs on and she said that she left her shoes in his car as evidence that she was there um but because of his personality he was just like shy like painfully shy and whatnot and because he was a baker and he had a very strong alibi from his friend who was obviously lying he wasn't considered a serious suspect and the case was dropped um i feel like that's pretty common in a lot of the things that we're going to discuss um i feel like that's a pretty common trend is that a lot of these people were kind of overlooked as... They were either charismatic and they were able to, like, lie their lie way, their through, way it, through it, or yeah. they were just like, oh, you're just, like, a good member of the community. Yep. Um, so later on, they began finding bodies around Anchorage, Seward, and then I'm going to mess this up completely, but I think it's Mat- Matanuska, Sitna Valley. Um, Some Alaskan Valley. Yeah, it's area in Alaska. <laughs> Um, and using those bodies, they realized that they had a serial killer on their hands. And so the FBI, they asked the FBI to provide a criminal psychological profile. Um, and what they provided was that the killer would be an experienced hunter with low self-esteem, have a long history of being rejected by women and would feel compelled to keep souvenirs of his murderers and that he might have a stutter. Um, so basically literally Robert Hansen. And then from there, uh, the special agent in charge of the case, Roy Hazelwood, narrowed it down to Hansen and obtained a search warrant for his house. The, um, they ended up finding a bunch of jewelry um, for some of the missing women, um, an array of like hidden away firearms, and an aviation map with little X's behind his headboard. Uh, initially, he denied everything, but as they were finding more and more evidence, he began to blame the women and justify his motives. And eventually he confessed and admitted to the spree starting in 1971. And they realized that his earliest victims were between the ages of 16 and 19. And they weren't sex workers like those that led to his discovery. Um, eventually they he confessed to, I, I want to say, 12 of the 17. Uh, or I think it was 12 of the 17. Um, and led the police to their locations, but there were X's on the maps that he refused to, um, confess to, and they, they believe that they're the locations of certain bodies, like, certain women that have gone missing. Um, and in present day, there was a movie called The Frozen Ground, where he was played by John Cusack. What year did that come out? I find it, I always find it super interesting hearing, like, 
the like what movies were inspired by 2013. Oh, that's pretty recent. Nick Cage is in it. <gasps> what? I love Nicolas Cage. Yeah, Nicolas Cage is in it. I think he plays um, the special agent, essentially. You think of some Cage rage? Moving on. <laughs> you hate when I call it that. Um, I think it's really interesting that a lot of women that are serial killer victims end up being sex workers. I mean, they're easy... Even today, in today's, like, mm-hmm. what we're used to, unfortunately, sex workers are easy targets for a lot of abuse and misconduct. Yeah, absolutely. Because, unfortunately, they're frowned down, you know, frowned upon by a lot of members of society, so people don't tend to care what happens when these people are mistreated. Yeah, and it's hard to keep track of them, because a lot of them have Some of them are dropped off. off the radar, essentially. Yeah, because what they're doing is technically illegal. Yeah, and their families don't know where they are, and they just assume that they've... Yeah. Yeah. All right. Your turn. All right. So my first one is Dorothea Puente. So she was born in, I think this is Northern California, um, Redlands, California in 1929. Um, In Sacramento in the 1980s, she ran a boarding house for the elderly and disabled, and she would cash their social security checks, and a lot of them ended up dead and buried in the yard of her house. So during this time, she had elderly, or she had these people living in her boarding house. While they were living there, she would read their mail, take any money and checks that were received. She would give them each monthly stipends and then keep the remainder that she claimed were just expenses for living in the boarding house. Neighbors kind of became suspicious of her when she stated that she, in air quotes, adopted a homeless alcoholic man named Chief to serve as her handyman. She had Chief dig in the basement and remove soil and garbage from the property, and then he put in a new concrete slab in the basement, and then one day he just disappeared. So what kind of tipped her off was that, I'm going to butcher this guy's name, in 1988, Alvaro Montoya was a tenant of hers and he disappeared. So he was developmentally disabled and had schizophrenia. And one day he failed to show up at one of his meetings with his social worker and the social worker reported him missing. People arrived at Puente's boarding house and began to search the property. They discovered recently disturbed soil and were able to uncover seven bodies in her yard. And when the investigation into the deaths began, Puente was not actually considered a suspect. As soon as police let her out of their sight, she fled to L.A. where she visited a bar and began to talk to an elderly pensioner. The man recognized her from the news and called the police. She was charged with nine counts of murder for the seven bodies found at her house in addition to two others, so Montoya, the one that went missing, and one other that was named, they don't mention their first name, but the last name was Gilmouth. She was convicted of three of the murders, and the jury could not agree on the other six. So she had somewhere, they estimate, between 9 and 16 victims, and her crimes took place between 1982 and 1988. So just like Background for her, her father died of tuberculosis and her mother died by a car accident and she was sent to an orphanage. She was married at 16 to a soldier who returned from the Pacific Theater in World War II. 
She had two daughters, sent one to live with relatives in Sacramento, and gave the other up for adoption. Um, her husband left her in 1948, and she was sentenced to a year in prison for forging checks. She was paroled after six months, and then soon after, she was impregnated by a man she did not know, gave birth to a daughter who was put up for adoption, and in 1952, she married, a, she got married again, had a not-so-great marriage for 14 years, and then she, um, she was, sorry, she was arrested for owning and man managing a brothel in the 1960s. So she uh, was kind of all over the place and then started poisoning and murdering people. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> that's, that's something I've read about a couple of times, this kind of situation where people are murdering the elderly for, or like the disabled to get their social security money or yeah. the insurance money. Yeah, I've... When I was doing research, I realized that there were, yeah, there were a lot That's of people. That's pretty common. Yeah. That's like insurance fraud. Yeah. Scams, and yeah. the ones that I was looking into, I read several that were women that were doing this. They were like poisoning people and taking that money. Interesting. Cool, huh? I mean, not yeah. cool, but. Well, not cool, not but. Not cool, but interesting. <laughs> I'm going to say that about every single yeah. one. I'll be like, cool, huh? And you're going to be like, no, not actually cool, but very interesting. Um, okay, so my next one's H.H. Holmes, who is my personal favorite serial killer. Um, although I could not explain why. Um, but you might know him as having built the murder castle in Chicago during the um, World Fair. But he was born Herman Webster Mudgett. Um, in, it's an awful name. Yeah, it is. Um, in 1861, and I, I, what I've read so far is that it's kind of like debated what, like, his, a lot of details of his early life are highly debated because there's not much information. He's lied about a ton of it, and he also lied on, like, census um, surveys. Yeah. Also, this was like what? In the 80s. In the 1800s. Not the 80s. 1800s. <laughs> Um, but he's recognized as one of America's first serial killers. And like I said, most of the facts around his life are unclear due to him, um, telling like inconsistent, inconsistent stories, um, confessing like different. Wow. I cannot speak right now. Um, most of the facts around his life are unclear due to wildly inconsistent stories and confessions. We're going to take a beer break. Let's see how this tastes. To spookiness. Hashtag thanks Maple One. Hashtag thanks Maple One. Oh, that's good. Ooh, that's good. That's so good. That's, that's so, so juicy. <laughs> I almost said that too. As soon as I heard you starting to say juicy, I was like, nope, don't do it. Don't do it, Stephanie. You and Fuck. Lizzie cannot speak in unison on the podcast anymore. Yeah, we do too much in real life. Yeah, it's, it's gotten <laughs> weird. So on top of that, his death count was very unclear. Um, at the time, police suspected 9 to 10 victims, but there were estimates in the hundreds, um, as high as 200. I don't trust the police in Chicago <laughs> to do math. But he has claimed the credit for the deaths of 27 victims. But some of these supposed victims were later found to be alive. And he has recounted, or he had recounted his confession and claimed that he only killed two people. So getting into his early life, he was bullied as a kid, supposedly. I read this in one um, article. 
But um, I read some more information about how he was forced to stand in front of a human skeleton and stare at it when they found out he was afraid of doctors. And he has said that the six... Or he... I shouldn't say has. He's dead. He had said that this experience removed his fear of death and potentially led to his... And experts believe that this potentially led to his obsession with death. Um, as a child, he allegedly trapped animals and performed surgery on them. Um, they said he was a gifted child and was extremely smart. Um, some accounts suggest that he killed a childhood playmate and it was covered up. Um, while in med school, uh, he stole cadavers and he went to med school at the University of Michigan. Um, nice. he, so he just... I knew I didn't trust people that went to the University of Michigan for a reason. So he disfigured them and then tried to collect insurance on them. He eventually perfected this insurance scam and became the beneficiary of several several women that worked for him, and most of them died mysteriously. You guys can't see it, but I just made a fake surprise face. <laughs> um, one of one really interesting fact about him is that. He married his first wife in 1878 when he was about 19. Her name was Clara. He had a son, but abandoned them. And then he married another woman in 1887, but he had never divorced Clara. And he filed papers to get divorced, but they never went through. And then he married Georgina... Georgiana, I was going to say, did he marry someone else named Clara? No, he married Georgiana Yoke in 1894. Oh, that's another awful name. Um, before he was in, arrested for insurance fraud, and he was technically married to all of them when he was put to death. So both of them? Three. Myrna, Clara, and oh, Georgiana. You said he... Wait. So you said he married... Clara. Clara. That was his married first Myrna. wife. He tried oh, to divorce... Oh, I, I missed the part where you said Myrna. Yeah, and then he I married, married Georgia Georgina. and then tried to divorce Clara, um, but never did. It's, it's uh, that's some sister wives <laughs> bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. So when um, did he change his name? Did you already say that? Uh, no, not yet. Okay. So, what's also interesting is that he was technically married a bunch of times, but he always, like, used fake names. So, like, he wasn't officially married to a bunch of girls, but he would get married to them and then, like, collect insurance but, but policies. I feel like that's, like, the thing, I mean, taking the money is one thing, but I feel like listen, the process you gotta of getting listen, married... You gotta listen to the bleachers. You can't take the You don't take the money. You don't take the money. You don't take the money. Um, but anyways, he changed his name when he moved to... <laughs> that's literally the next thing. Did I already miss you saying he changed his name? No, I was about to do it. No, So he changed sorry. his name when he moved um, to Chicago. Uh, he took over the management of an Englewood drugstore after he bought it. Um, and that's where he changed his name to H.H. H. Holmes. God. Um, the widow that sold it to him died mysteriously. And he hired... Was it one of his widows that sold it to him? <laughs> no. <laughs> now are you being the worst? <laughs> sorry. Um... And then he hired the Connor family from Iowa to work in the store. He took out large insurance policies on the wife and their daughter, Pearl. So what people most know him for is um, the murder castle that was built um, during the 1893 Chicago World's Fair. So this event attracted more than 27 million visitors to Chicago, and it was just kind of like chaos at that point. People were coming to Chicago, disappearing. Um, they were like coming from around the world. And just staying. It's probably a good thing the World Fair doesn't exist anymore. No. I feel like it would be a shit show. And we live in Chicago. Yeah. (laughs) How crazy Chicago gets. Yeah. So people were just, it was a good, and I say good, like obviously it's a bad time, but it was a good time for him. 
Air quotes good. Yeah, it was a good time for him because people were just disappearing, changing their names, signing to stay. Like, a lot of people just kind of came for this and didn't leave. So, like, they stopped being in contact with their parents and, like, a lot of people went missing. Um, and nobody was investigating it. So he brought property that he'd use as a hotel, um, a.k.a. to murder people. Um, <laughs> a.k.a. Murder Castle. <laughs> in Englewood, Chicago, which is on the south side. Um, you sure it wasn't Edgewater? Stop. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, based on his plans, construction should have only taken six months, but he took three times as long because he was constantly hiring. a year and a half? Yeah. Hiring and firing laborers, and he saved a ton of money doing that by saying that, like, they weren't doing a shitty job, or like, they weren't showing up, so he would just fire them on the spot and not pay them. Um, so, essentially... Damn capitalism. <laughs> essentially, the structure was basically a labyrinth of stores in the bottom, and then small rooms on top, which he used to lure people in by promising cheap board. Um, Wait, so you said the bottom was stores, and then yeah. the upper levels were like, the, ho- the rooms? The rooms, yeah. Okay, got it. Um, is what I, so I read that. I don't know that it's actually true. Well, there's the so many different accounts. The building's not there anymore, right. so, so we many can't different confirm, accounts. but. Um, yeah, it was burned down. This what Wikipedia said? No, this was an article. Oh, I was gonna say, um, was this Wikipedia? No, it was like, Wikipedia. it was a Chicago. Got it. Okay, continue. website. Um, it was burned down like over a hundred years ago, so there aren't really. One, do we know what year it burned down? 1895, I think. Oh. 1895. Oh, okay. Um. Yeah, so it's been over 100 years uh, since it's been there, so there's not, like, a ton of information about what it looked yeah. like. Um, so he lured people in by promising cheap board um, during the Chicago World Fair, um, but he also ensured that he was the only one that knew the entire plan, like, the floor plan of it by hiring different contractors. Um, I also he- feel like it was rumored, I mean, I don't know that you have information on this, but I heard it was rumored, like, the construction members would, like, go missing. Yeah. So that nobody actually knew the entire floor yeah. plan but him. So, that's true. Um, and then he'd fire them if he thought that they were seeing too much. Um, the blueprints included 51 doorways that opened to brick walls, 100 windowless rooms, stairs that led to nowhere, two furnaces, body-sized chutes that led to an incinerator, soundproof rooms, doors that locked from the inside, locked from the outside, sorry, um, secret passages and gas jets in rooms. Um... And he sold... You said gas jets? Essentially, like... Like, tubes that had gas that, like, into a room. Essentially, we had, like, a gas chamber. Yeah. Okay. Um, He sold skeletons of his victims to local labs and schools. And he also allegedly seduced and murdered a number of women by becoming engaged to them and then killed them after securing their life savings. So that's why he was still married to everybody. Yeah. Because they just disappeared. They... He took the money. <laughs> he took... Don't take the money. Um, so the final building took up an entire block, and it was just, like, a monstrosity. It was huge. It wasn't a skyscraper, but it was just absolutely enormous. Kind of similar to, um, like, Merchant Mart, Smart, how big it was. Okay. Because um, that takes up an entire city block. Ugh, yeah, the Merch Mart. Is but I don't giant. think this is a city block. I think it's just a regular block. Um, so he also forced his employees to carry life insurance that he named himself as a beneficiary. And that's where some of these shady companies got this idea from. <laughs> and damn um, capitalism. Like a lot of them would go missing. Um, and then on top of that, missing people during the World Fair was very they were very mm-hmm. rarely investigated because of like what like I mentioned, people were just leaving and or yeah. like coming and staying and thought that they were missing. So <clears throat> um one of the big insurance scams that he ran that actually led to him 
being caught to an extent was um, he looked up like the ex, I think it was the ex-wife of one of his business partners. His name was Je- Benjamin Pitzel. Um, and he was basically going to fake his death, find a cadaver that looked like him and like mutilate it and say that this was him and collect insurance money on him. But he decided to kill him instead of getting a cadaver that looked like him. And then he later claimed to have killed three out of the five kids from that man, like that guy's kids. Damn. Um, and the, the interesting thing is that when he finally was brought to justice, he was convicted of stealing a horse in Texas. What? But he didn't want to go to Texas because of their punishment policies. So he confessed to the insurance scam with, with Benjamin. Um, but he claimed that he got a body from the doctor and it wasn't his actual body and it was set in a trunk. Um, but the investigator asked how he faked rigor mortis, um, which is when your body is stiff and it happens usually like right after death yeah. or quickly after death. Um, but it, it, it's one of the few medical ish terms I know. <laughs> it's an indication of like a freshly killed body. Um, and he couldn't answer. So he was charged with. Um, murdering Benjamin, and then he later confessed to killing all these people. Um, and then he um, got the death sentence and was hung in 1896 in Philly. But before that, he said he wanted to be buried. Wait, if he did all of this in Chicago, why was he hung in Philly? So he did all this in Chicago, but then he was like, I think he killed um, the partner in Philly, and that's what he was oh, like, formally. Oh, got it. Okay, that makes sense. Um, like, like tried for it. I am not entirely sure, but he was hung in Philly. He was, Again, according to this article, not 100% sure. According uh, to the internet. According to the interwebs, which is what I've seen um, in a few places. Um, he also wanted to be buried 10 feet deep, encased in concrete, so that people couldn't rob his grave and dissect him. Which they granted, oddly enough. It's a very specific request. Yeah. Um, and today, the murder house, um, is no longer there. It was burned down in 1895 by what witnesses said were two men that snuck into the building, um, in the middle, like, in the middle of the night, and it was on fire not too long later. Um, but, like, the structure and, like, remains Mm -hmm. were standing until 1938 when it was torn down, and now it's the Englewood branch of the United States Postal Service. You think it's, you think that area is haunted? Um, I feel like I would have read something about it if it was haunted. So I don't know. It's fair. But yeah, uh, AJ Tolmes, he's very interesting. They've referenced he's the character crazy. in a lot of yes. television and yeah, movies. So and he's like, the inspiration like for American Horror Story Hotel. Yeah. Um, which I think is really interesting. Obviously, it's like way over the top version of him, but... Yeah, but that was the inspiration um, That's the inspiration. I mean, most... Yep. In- most horror stories that are based off yes. of a serial killer of some sort are, like, an over-exaggeration. Yes. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting, because, like, he would drop victims down into a chute and burn them, or there was, um, I think there were, like, rooms with lye. He had, like, a, a cellar, basically, with, like, filled with ways to dispose of bodies. Yeah. And then would sell the skeletons. So this guy was all about making money, and... Filling his weird fantasies. Yeah. Thinking of haunted things, um, I forgot to mention this in my story, but Zach Baggins went to the house <laughs> of Dorothea Puente in 2017. So I'm going to go into my next one. So this is going to be a long one. Um, not very sorry about it. So we're going to talk about the Zodiac Killer. So Ted Cruz. So Ted Cruz. 
All right, so the Zodiac was a serial killer who operated in Northern California in the late 1960s and early 1970s. Um, his victims were murdered in multiple parts of the Bay Area um, between December of 1968 and October. Wait, did you say California? Yeah. Ted Cruz is from Texas. This article's wrong. <laughs> I said the crimes I'm just, happened. I'm kidding. <laughs> I just wanted to drop another Ted Cruz joke. So, most of the victims were murdered between 68 and 69. Um, the official count, there's claimed to be a lot more, but the official count that has been recognized is four men and three women between the ages of 16 and 29. The name Zodiac comes from a series of letters that were sent by the serial killer to the Bay Area Press where this person called themselves Zodiac. These letters included cryptograms and information that were meant to, you know, decode who this person was, but they were never actually solved. So there's five confirmed dead victims, two injured, but there's also a potential for 20 to 28 dead and the killer actually is claimed to have killed 37 people. There's several others beyond the you know official confirmed ones that are said to have been killed by Zodiac. And there's one person that's suspected to be an escapee. The identity is still unknown to this day. Or it's Ted Cruz. It's Ted Cruz. The internet figured it out. So here's some detail on the victims. David Arthur Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen were shot and killed together in December of 1968. They were high school students in Vallejo, California, and no one had any idea why they were killed or who did it. Um, Darlene Farron and Mike Magoo, Magoo, I don't know how to say these names. Mike Magoo. Was, I don't know why we actually say people's last names. I don't know either. Because that's what they're doing. I don't know how I was saying um, first names. It's hard to say first names, too. They were killed in July July of 1969. Um, a man shined... You know what else happened in 1969? We went to the moon? <laughs> <laughs> Even Steven's joke. <laughs> All right. So a man shined a flashlight into their car, shot at them. Um, Farron, so the girl was killed, but the man was seriously injured and was able to give a description of the shooter to the police. The next two were Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard. And this was September of 1969. They were on a picnic in Napa, California. They were accosted by a man wearing an executioner's mask with a circle cross symbol on it. And that circle cross symbol is what we know today is the symbol of the Zodiac. Um, he tied them up and stabbed them multiple times, leaving a message for the police written on the car door. Shepard died of her injuries while she was in the hospital, and then Hartnell, so the guy, survived. Um, Paul Stein, this took place in October 1969. He was a cab driver that was shot in the head by a passenger. A number of teenagers witnessed the attack and alerted the police and gave a description similar to the ones that have already been seen of the Zodiac Killer. So this was based off the famous drawings of the killer. Of Ted Cruz. <laughs> I, this joke is still funny. It shouldn't be funny, but it still is. I haven't, that hasn't been a thing so long. I forgot about that. 
All right. So what I think a lot of the Zodiac Killer is most known for is the letters that went to the press. Yeah. So in 1969, following the attack of Farron and Magoo, I keep calling him, I keep thinking, of, I keep thinking of Mr. Magoo from the Karate Kid. I don't think that's the person's name. <laughs> Anyways, so after... Miguel? Miguel. I like Magoo better. I like better. Magoo better. Yeah, just say, say Magoo and we apologize. It's Magoo. We apologize. It's probably Magoo, but I keep reading Magoo. We apologize. It's Magoo now. <laughs> Your name, the person's Your name, name is, is now Magoo. Magoo. The killer began sending letters to the Bay Area newspapers taking credit for the killings and threatening further threatening further violence. In a 1969 letter to the, the SF Examiner, the killer identified himself as Zodiac for the first time. These letters, like I said earlier, contained cryptograms and ciphers along with messages that these codes would reveal the killer's identity to anyone that could manage to decipher them. These letters were a couple. <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> These letters were accompanied by the Zodiac's air quotes signature, which was the circle cross mm-hmm. sign. Um, the killer included details of the murders in the letters that proved his identity as the Zodiac. One letter was even accompanied by a piece of fabric from the shirt of one of the victims. Although there were only five confirmed Zodiac victims, there's reason to believe that he may have killed, I don't know what I said, he, um, that there may have been as many as 37 killers. In one letter, the killer included the note, me equals 37 SFPD, meaning San Francisco Police Department equals zero. And the letters mysteriously stopped in 1970. It's been said that he sent four, I keep saying he, we assume it's a he. We don't know it's a he. Um, there were four cryptograms sent and only one was actually deciphered. I don't know what they are. There's not a lot of information about it, but just this specific one of... And they've had, like, people that, like, professionally do, like, cryptograms and ciphers for, like, the yeah. FBI try and work on it yeah. and they can't figure it out. Right. So this, there's been a couple of suspects for this. Not going to jump in and say Ted Cruz. We'll come to that later. Um, because it's not a suspect. It's confirmed. <laughs> it's still funny. This joke, this has been a joke for several years and I still find it so funny. funny. Shouldn't be funny, but it still is. All right. So Arthur Lee Allen is one of the suspects. Um, so a political cartoonist by the name of Robert Graysmith, worked for the San Francisco Chronicle when the murders began in the 60s and alleged that the Zodiac was Arthur Lee Allen. There are a number of factors that place Allen under suspicion. So, like, on the day of Zodiac's third attack, Allen said he was going scuba diving in that lake. He came back covered in blood and bearing a knife. And if you remember, Zodiac stabbed his victims at the lake. That's the couple that were, like, tied up Uh and stabbed. Um, a friend of Alan said that he'd heard Alan refer to himself as a Zodiac, and when police searched Alan's trailer, they found bloody knives, sexual objects, and dissected animals. V. Gross. <laughs> in a later search, they found homemade bombs. He was jailed for child molestation starting in 1974, which just so happens to be when the letters stopped. Yeah. Another possible suspect is Earl Van Best Jr., 
So this guy, Gary L. Stewart, wrote a book arguing that the Zodiac Killer is his father, Earl Van Best Jr. Uh, Van Best bears a resemblance to the image of the police sketch that I think most people have seen by now. And um, that came, you know, from Stein's murder, you know, the taxi driver. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does not resemble any other earlier descriptions in a number of letters with the name... Letters in his name consign a number of letters in the name, you know, Earl Van Best Jr. coincide with the ones in the Zodiac ciphers. Another one is Lawrence K. So he lived by where the victims lived and or died. And the sister of one of the victims claimed that he had been bothering her sister in the weeks before she was murdered. One of the cops who encountered this man who had been you know, who may have been the Zodiac. Um, after Stein's murder, also said that Kay, Kay bore the rese- best resemblance to the man he'd seen on the street shortly after the killing. So, new details. As of September 26, 2018, um, author Mark Hewitt, who has written three books about the Zodiac killer, has named Ted Kaczynski as the Zodiac. And Ted Kaczynski is better known as the the Unabomber. Ted Kaczynski is better known as Ted Cruz. (laughs) No, Ted Kaczynski is the Unabomber. So when when Kaczynski was arrested in Montana, all of the profiles said he'd be about 40, but he was actually 53 when he was arrested. And so the Unabomber campaign started in the late 70s, but in 1966, he was 24, which is the same age that people said, you know, the Zodiac would have been. So he easily could have been the Zodiac for 12 years and then become the Unabomber. Um, So the Zodiac is all fucking over the place in pop culture, Mm -hmm. like everywhere. Yeah, I mean, you've heard us reference Ted Cruz a million times already. I mean, that too. So the character... Siler in Heroes. Is he really? Is based off of Zodiac. I did not realize that. That yeah, makes sense, so I, though. Um, so, just a couple of movies that came out. There's been a ton that reference the Zodiac. Um, I think most well-known is the movie, the, um, the Zodiac, that came out in 06. Is most well or is it the zodiac or just zodiac is the what's the famous what's the one that like the big horror movie zodiac just zodiac okay so the one with like the like one the, what i think it's with jake gyllenhaal hold on I, let me confirm yep uh, yes you're right um i'm not gonna name all the movies but oh, and I, mark ruffalo yeah mark ruffalo's in it and our dj Downey jr their first movie together before Avengers. So, um, he was referenced in movies like The Zodiac Killer in 71, the Zodiac porn movie that came out. There's references to the Zodiac in Dirty Harry. In The Third Exorcist, they have a character named the Gemini Killer, which is based off the Zodiac. Yeah. I've, um, the most well-known, obviously, though, is Zodiac that came out in 2007. You know, Jake Gyllenhaal, Mark Ruffalo, RDJ. Um, they're all there. Um, yeah, so... We... 
I also want to not factually based, more yeah, there could be facts it's factual. It. It's factual. <laughs> um, why is Ted Cruz called the Zodiac Killer? Beyond the fact that he's actually the worst, I found an article from The Verge that says, here's what I know, nothing. Here's what I want to know, everything. <laughs> this person calls them an expert in the Jake Gyllenhaal film Zodiac, but not an expert on the actual Zodiac Killer or Ted Cruz. So, yeah. There's, there's no evidence to say that Ted Cruz could be the no, Zodiac it's killer. not even like Ted Cruz he was wasn't like, he was a lot yeah. he was born during yeah he was born during the killing period it's just funny it's just funny it's just funny alright you good? yes you more stuff? no that's my Zodiac that's All my right. three pages of Zodiac notes <laughs> alright so the next one I'm gonna do is the Gainesville Ripper um, and this one is actually really interesting to me um, because it hits a little bit closer home uh, for those of you that know me um it's not really like a secret i went to the university of florida um i lived in gainesville for a very long time um fuck you <laughs> i can't stop thinking about it i'm sorry um this happened in the early 90s um so basically the Gainesville Ripper is Danny Rowling. Um he was born in nineteen fifty four and died in two thousand six. Um and then just like a quick top line um explanation of this is that he murdered five students in Gainesville, Florida over four days in August of nineteen ninety. And he also committed a triple homicide in nineteen eighty nine in Shrub Shreveport, Louisiana. Um He was born to a police officer father who was told him he was unwanted from birth and he abused the father uh, his father abused um his mother um he was arrested several times in georgia and was caught spying on a woman getting dressed and then he attempted to kill his father during a family argument where his father lost an eye and an ear um but getting into it he murdered five students during a burglary and robbery spree um that's what i read it doesn't actually sound like the, his main intent was to kill people it wasn't to get anything it wasn't it, it wasn't really for burglary, and I think that was just, like, a cover-up, like, him covering his trail. Um, but he mutilated their bodies, decapitated one body, and then posed them sometimes using mirrors. But essentially, um, and this is going to get kind of graphic, so just a warning. Um, the first murder, he broke into an apartment shared by two freshmen um, named Sonia and Christina. Christina was asleep on the couch, and he stood over her watching her sleep. But then he decided to go upstairs to Sonia. Um, he taped her mouth shut and then murdered her, uh, to stifle her and then stabbed her to death and she died trying to fend him off. He stabbed her over 20 times, I read as one report. Um, not 100% sure on that. I didn't read that anywhere else. But then from there, he went back downstairs and taped Christina's mouth shut and then raped her and stabbed her five times in the back. Um, and I'll get into something about the being stabbed in the back a little bit later. And then I also read in the same account that said, he stabbed her over 20 times. He stabbed Sonia over 20 times. Um, this one, this account said that he took Christina's nipples as a trophy. Again, not 100% sure. That's the first time I've ever read of that, and I've read it. That's the gross. Yeah, no, I read it a few times while I was in Gainesville because, I mean, every couple of years it pops up again. I'm, I mean, I'm sure. Like, it's just, there's a memorial and whatnot, and so, like, every couple of years it'll pop up. Um, people will talk about it again, so I had to read about it. Um, but from there, he later staged both of their bodies in a sexually provocative position, 
Um, <clears throat> the next day, he broke into the apartment of a Krista Hoyt. He, she wasn't home, and he waited for her to get home. I think it was like 11 a.m. when he attacked her. He put her into a chokehold, bound her, taped her mouth shut, raped her, and stabbed her in the back. Um, and where he stabbed her, he actually ended up rupturing her heart. He oh my god. decapitated her body and posed her head on a shelf facing the body for, like, a scare factor. Oh my god. Yeah. So, because of this, there was a bunch of widespread media attention, and it was so early in the semester that a lot of students were transferring out or withdrawing. Yeah. Um, and leaving the university, and a lot of students were, like, moving in packs, they were, like, sleeping in groups, um... So, like, he didn't have as much of a chance at this point. So, on Monday, um, two days after the last murder um, of Krista, I believe. Yeah. Um, he broke into the house of Tracy and Manny. He pried open the glass door um, using, I believe it was, like, a screwdriver and some other tool, and he did that with Krista as well. He found Manny asleep in a bedroom, and I guess just his background information, Manny's like a two, was a 200-pound guy. He was pretty big, like not, he was like fit, physically fit, um, and he struggled with him, eventually killed him. Tracy heard the commotion and attempted to barricade herself in the bedroom. He broke through her door, taped her mouth and wrists, and raped her, and then stabbed her in the back three times. He posed her body, but left Manny's in the way he died. Um, and so with the exception of all, with especially... So, with the exception of Manny, all of his victims were petite Caucasian women with brown eyes. Um, there were very few leads initially, but the police identified two suspects. One of the suspects was a UF, UF, a UF student that had a history of mental illness and had facial scarring due to an accident. His photo was repeatedly shown in the news, and it was done just because it was, like, high profile. They are like, this, this kid will bring in views. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, honestly, they probably ruined that, that guy's life because um, it wasn't him. In September... Um, Rowling was arrested in uh, Ocala on a burglary charge and his tools were matched to the marks left in the Gainesville murder scenes. He had a small one-man camp in a wooded area near apartment complexes that many students lived at, including his victims. Um, and during trial, he claimed that his motive was to become a superstar like Ted Bundy. He was executed by lethal injection at the Florida State Prison um, and... This was one of the first cases where... So, he said that he wanted to become a superstar because at this point, people weren't really... Like, the news and police weren't really giving information about serial killers or people on, like... They were afraid of copycats, so he wanted to break that down and have, like... He wanted to become famous from it, like Ted Bundy. And so he was trying to break that down. Um, and this also spurred the University of Florida to instigate a very robust emergency procedure for things like this and I think I read to this day it's one of like the top five most prepared schools for yeah. emergencies in this case because they they took this situation and like really prepared for it prepared for anything in the future yeah um, I mean you kind of have to yeah so his legacy is that he inspired screenwriter Kevin Williamson um, to write the movie screen. That's very legit. Yeah. Um, and for me, this is just kind of crazy because it happened in Gainesville where I went to college. Um, yeah. Lived there for seven years. Um, it was 
It's it's always on like the like back burner like or backs of people's minds like everybody knows this happened. Oh yeah. Um, and when I was in college, actually, there was like an attempted serial rapist or a serial someone that was attempting to rape people, but he always failed. Um, but he attempted multiple times. Ah, so he wasn't actually a serial rapist. No, he, he was, was someone that was attempting to be a rapist several times. Yes. Um, and they instigated one of their policies during that and. Interesting. Yeah, it was. That's interesting that you kind of got to see something like. It was not... fucking terrifying. Oh, I'm. I'm not like, saying like it's a yeah, good thing. No, it was terrifying because I had like a 9 p.m. lab. Oh, like I had a lab man. that got out at 9, 9 p.m. p.m. And I'd have to take the bus home, and it was Oof, terrifying. Yeah. Like I, I was walking with like my keys in my hand. Yeah. Like my knuckles. Um, oh, you mean the way I walk around everywhere constantly? Right. That's how I walk around everywhere. Um, but yeah, that guy was like fighting women, like banging their heads against the wall. Oh my and, like, gosh. knocking them out. Uh, but every time, like, somebody came by, and he was yeah. just... I don't know what was going on, but somebody would walk by, and he'd run off. Like, he wasn't very good at, good what, he was at what he was trying to do. Um, oh, man. That's but, so yeah, awful. that was, like, that was one a situ- situation where they, like, instigated a protocol, and I was part of it. Like, I was there. Um, so that was... I don't know. It was really good to feel safe. Yeah. In that case. Um, and, like, to this day, the University of Florida has, like, these pillars... Like, mm-hmm. these poles. Um, and they're... What they say is that anywhere you are on campus, you should be able to see one. It's, like, an emergency pole where if you There's run like to it button. and click it and call it... Michigan call State has those as well. And it's, like, you should be able to see one at any point on of campus. where you are. Yeah. yeah. You should always be able to see one. That's how they... Yeah. We had those at Michigan location. State. Um, so, yeah. It was, um, it was nice to kind of, I guess, benefit from this experience where I felt safe when something shitty was going on. Yeah. That's it. All right. So, Lindsay had three, but I came prepared with four, so you're going to hear me talk about two in a row. Yay. All right. So, my next one is Ed Gein, and I have to give a shout out to the last podcast on the left, because as their closing statement is, they regularly close with Hail Gein. They close with, hail Satan, hail Gein, hail yourself. So, gotcha. that's a thing. Alright, so Ed Gein is known as the Butcher of Plainfield. And when I say Plainfield, for all you local Chicago people, I don't mean Plainfield, Illinois. We're referring to Plainfield, Wisconsin. He was also the foundation for the story of Leatherface, Norman Bates, and Buffalo Bill. So, Ed Gein is the inspiration for a lot of super famous horror concepts. So, he was born in Wisconsin with an alcoholic father and an overbearing mother. The family essentially rejected the father and moved to a farm in Plainfield to prevent, quote-unquote, outsiders from influencing Ed and his brother, Henry. Um, Ed was... crazily bullied as a child and his mom essentially ran his life his mom was super overbearing and just was like a he lived in a tyrannical household um ed's father died in 1940 and at this time his brother henry started to reject their mother's view of the world and this really like is commonly known that it really upset ed because ed really loved his mom Um, In March of 1944, the brothers found themselves in a brush fire on their property, 
and Ed went to get the police, claiming that he lost sight of his brother, but eventually led them directly to Henry's corpse. Henry had head trauma, but was declared dead of asphyxiation in the fire. Their mother died in 1945, and at this time, Ed was 39 years old and still single. Um... So what, where, there's not a, I don't have a lot of like in-between information. Like obviously he was 39 when his mother died and uh, the police eventually suspected Gein to be involved in the disappearance of this store clerk, Bernice Warden in Plainfield in November of 1957. So he would have been, you know, in his forties at this time. Her corpse was eventually found in his shed, or in a shed on his property. She was decapitated, and her headless body was hung upside down by means of ropes at her wrists and a crossbar at her ankles. The body's trunk was empty. The rib cage split, and the body dressed out like that of a deer. So he cut her open, gutted her from the inside. These mutilations had been performed post-mortem and she was declared dead at the shot of a close range with a, a 22 caliber rifle. After this happened, authorities searched his house and found human skulls mounted on the corner posts of his bed, human skin fashioned into a lampshade and used to upholster chair seats, human skull caps used as soup bowls, a human heart, um, it's disputed where the heart was actually found. Deputies reported it. Um, the heart was in a saucepan on the stove, but crime scene photographers have claimed it was in a paper bag. Um, the head of a woman named Mary Hogan, who was a local tavern owner, um, her head was found in a paper bag. A ceiling light pole was made of human lips. Uh mammary vest was crafted from the skin of a woman's torso and there was a belt made from human nipples a what mammary vest i think that means like um i'm not entirely sure what that means i think it's for like a fake pair of like he that's essentially I, cut off yeah. like her chest and it was I just the breasts that's what i would understand yeah see what that actually is defined as we looking this up fam Okay, well, it's just pulling up Ed <laughs> information. So it says the vest was complete with female breasts. Okay, so, so it's just like a vest. Of... It's like it's probably like a regular vest, like with... like you know how like guys wear them in suits, like that kind of vest. Well, like, I'm assuming it he suits. cut the torso off of a woman, yep. and used her skin, and kept her yep. breasts intact. I think that's what it is. Um, he there was also socks made of human flesh and an array of air quotes shrunken heads so neighborhood children had seen and or heard of the heads as described by Gein and when he used to like babysit kids and he claimed that they were relics of the south seas that were sent by a cousin who participated in world war ii well turned out these were human facial skins peeled from cadavers and he wore them as masks Yeah. Yes. Hence where Leatherface came from. 
After all of this came out under questioning, Ed Gein admitted he would dig up graves of recently buried middle-aged women that he thought resembled his mother and he would take their bodies home. Fuck. Hence, Psycho. Psycho, yeah. Um, it came to, this story came to widespread, like, public attention through, like, the novel Psycho, which became the Alfred Hitchcock film Psycho, and then the story was adapted into a ton of films. Um, so it was a, the things that I think it's most been well known for, um... It was in Devil's Rejects. It was the inspiration for Leatherface, Norman Bates, Buffalo Bill, and Dr. Oliver Threadson from the TV series American Horror Story Asylum. It all comes back to American Horror Story. It all comes back to American Horror Story. Also, that show has turned into garbage. That show is so bad. But it was so good. That was so bad. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, we. Ed, there's a lot more to Ed Gein's stuff, but I wanted to get to the, get through it because there's a lot, and we've been talking for a long time about serial killers. All right, so let me get into my last one. So my final one is a close to home hitter here. Um, we're gonna talk about John Wayne Gacy. John Wayne Gacy. Um, is well the most well known for being um, they call him the killer clown, mm-hmm. um, and he inspired a lot of the what has become the fear that people have around clowns. Um, so he had an abusive childhood and struggled with his sexuality even from a young age. He was actually charged with sexual assault in 1968, and this is what brought you know his murders to the public. He sexually assaulted, tortured, and murdered at least 33 teenage boys and young men between 1972 and 1978 in Cook County, meaning where we live. Yeah, meaning Chicago. He lured his victims with the promise of construction work and then captured, sexually assaulted, and eventually strangled most of them with rope. Yep. All of his known murders were committed inside his Norwood Norwood Park Ranch like house his victims were brought in by force and deception and all but one were murdered by asphyxiation or strangulation with a makeshift tourniquet so a rope of some sort Mm -hmm. his first victim was stabbed to death um gacy buried 26 of his victims in the crawl space of his home and it's really widely like known that his house smelled like dead bodies yeah Obviously, they were buried under his house. He's another one of the similar types of, like, men that were like, oh, this guy does a lot for the community. He yeah. can't be a bad person. Right. Yeah. Um, so, he had 26 buried under the crawl space. Three were buried elsewhere on his property. And the bodies of his last four victims were discarded in the Displains River. He became known as the Killer Clown... Because he used to participate in fundraisers and parades and children's parties where he would dress as Pogo the Clown. Um, that sounds terrifying. I know, right? That doesn't sound I like fun. I honestly don't get why people have clowns at kids' parties. They're I think their terrifying. clowns are awful. So essentially he... Um, 
I wrote, deceiving youths into wearing handcuffs became his typical M.O. in subduing his victims. So he would give them drinks, drugs, or just like generally gaining these young men, like their trust. He would bring out, you know, handcuffs sometimes as part of being the clown, sometimes as part of, you know, trying to hook up with these, you know, men that were not trying to rape these men. Yeah. Um, he would persuade them into, you know, wearing the handcuffs and when his victim was unable to free themselves, he would then make a statement to the effect of like, the trick is here, you have to have the key. And then he would rape them, torture them. And then he would finish, which is what he's pretty well known for is the rope trick where he would, Put a rope over their neck and then strangle them to death. Wow. Yeah. Not great. He... So the span of his crimes were between January of 1972 and December of 1978. There are 27 victims that have been identified. By the time of his trial in 1980, only 22 had been identified. Five more have... Or five more have been identified since then and... Since then, and another six bodies have been found that are not yet identified, even today. He was killed by lethal injection in 1994, and his case actually, you know, inspired some pretty good child protection services that we have today. So, what was known as the Missing Child Recovery Act of 1974, um... One of Gacy's defense attorneys um, came up with this procedure for the Missing Child Recovery Act. And it says essentially that like at the time that Gacy's murders happened, there was a 72-hour requirement. So after your child had been missing for 72 Mm -hmm. hours, you could file a police report. Right. So after that, this, you know, instance... They made it so you could file it as soon as your child goes missing. They removed that clause in there. And this process actually, over time, turned into the Amber Alert system. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so Gacy's, you know, situation actually brought some really good actions. Yeah, and reforms to the laws related to missing children. Um, He obviously inspired killer clown stories so i read an article that said you know stephen king said it is not actually he he claims that it it was never based off of john wayne gacy specifically but was based off of the story about a troll under a bridge but he wanted to play on the his childhood fear of clowns and this childhood fear of clowns essentially people are saying came from you know moms telling their kids that if they misbehave a killer clown was going to get them because gacy was the killer clown and this happened before a lot of that so it was meant to be like a cautionary tale and it turned into the fear of clowns interesting um i also think it's interesting that like you and i have a fear of clowns but like not for that reason like clowns are just terrifying i mean we don't have this reason of clowns being terrifying but but i think that's something that's like I passed think, over through time. Yeah, I think we have the evolutionary like fear of clowns because of what this was. Mm-hmm. I think it's turned into like I'm General afraid fear. of clowns because of movies about killer clowns, which I think that's what yeah came from this. Yeah, that's why I'm afraid of clowns. 
Um, I mean, I'm afraid of everything, yeah, so that's, that's not fair. that surprising. So I wanted to talk about this before we wrap. Um, I think it's really interesting that a lot of the unsolved murders and serial killers are from 30, 40 years ago, 50 years ago in some cases. Um, and like we, and obviously I don't know this, but we don't have a ton of unsolved serial killers, and I think it's because of like the advancement in technology. Yeah. Um, but, like, I, I almost feel like if the Zodiac Killer were a killer now, would we be, have been able to figure out his identity? Through, not even necessarily through, to like, deciphering his cryptograms, but through, like, DNA or... I think... I think it's a lot harder to be an unknown serial killer because there's a lot more ways... To be that, found. To I be mean, found. between, yeah. you know, the FBI agents and your computers... And in your and phones. And your phones. Um, and... and- <laughs> Stop it. And DNA. <laughs> yeah. There's, I I don't honestly know that we would have. Like a, a Zodiac killer in yeah. 2018. Yeah. Also, I'd like to kind of just like point out that we don't, these, most of these murders we're talking about took place in like the, beyond H.H. H. Holmes. Yeah. Where, you know, 70s, 80s, like 60s. 60s yeah. Yeah. Years ago, before the advancements in crime technology Agreed. that we have today. Yeah. I don't know that some of these people would have gotten away with what they did in today's society. No, I agree with that. Especially... Like we would, today's society, we would know probably close... Uh, also... We I, wouldn't have like this fucking huge, like, between two and 200 yeah. murders for like A.J. Holmes. We'd probably know who the Zodiac Killer was. We'd probably know who the Black Dahlia murderer was. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also think that because social media, like, people are so connected. Like, if you go off of social media randomly one day and you people are never here from you again, like, someone somewhere will know something is up. Right. I agree. Um, and there's just so many more people that, like, it's so hard. I feel like it's just hard. Yeah. It's a lot harder to get away with that. And, like, you're going to be seen by someone at some point. Yeah. Especially, like... We live in a huge, like a major city. Like what yeah. happened with H. H. Holmes will never happen Agreed. again here. Like it, Agreed. And I, I mean, the same with Zodiac I Killer that was in happen. San Francisco. Like yeah, it's, that's never gonna happen again, in my opinion. Um, but I just thought it was something interesting. That yeah, we, I think to, I agree to discuss like, whether. Or yeah, not. I I honestly don't think that these kind of murders would happen today. And I wanted to bring that up to like these all happened. 40, 50 yeah. years ago. And, like, the technology advancements then were non-existent. Yeah, and, and what, we're still using technology advancements to try and figure out who the Zodiac Killer is. I mean, the Zodiac Killer was listed as inactive in, like, the late 90s, and they brought it back to the surface in, like, what, 07? Something yeah, like that? because they have new technology to try and figure out, like, yeah. to try and, and people are, like, pull out DNA. And, yeah. yeah. People are trying today to claim who Jack the Ripper was. Like, yeah. that was in the 1800s. Yep. Damn it, I wish we had talked about Jack the Ripper. That's so I don't, interesting. I know. that it, We'll save that for another episode yeah. just to be, maybe next year, halfway to Halloween, we'll yeah. just do a full Jack the Ripper episode. Yeah. Because that could be a full episode about conspiracy theories and the theories behind that. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, well, so that is our Drunken Uncultured True Crime Edition episode. Um, read The Bad Scene by William March if you're interested in being part of book club. Um, I don't have anything else. I don't, who's doing final thoughts this week? I don't know. We gotta get Steve to come on. Somebody's doing final thoughts at some point, maybe. 
Who knows? It's a surprise. Just keep listening. Steve to Kavad. Yeah, just keep listening. Yeah, uh, we'll have a guest come do final. Come do final thoughts. (laughs) We'll have a guest on for final thoughts. Uh, At the time of recording, we don't know who it is, so it'll be a surprise to us as well. Yep. By us, I mean me, because I don't not hear when final thoughts are recorded. Keep listening. See you next time, guys. Boo, Felicia. Surprise, guys. It's Steph here for final thoughts this week. So this week we decided to do final thoughts a little bit differently. And what I'm about to talk about is not a sponsored ad. So like we don't have sponsors. We all know that. Um, So we got a behind the scenes visit to a new haunted attraction in Chicago this weekend. Um, You probably saw it on our Instagram. Sometime this weekend. I don't remember when we put it up. So the Park After Dark is a new haunted maze in Andersonville. Um, Our friends at Desolate Entertainment were cool enough to let us come check it out. And we got kind of a behind the scenes look at the new haunted house, which was super awesome, even though I'm a huge wiener. And hate haunted houses. So Park After Dark is more than just, you know, like your standard haunted house. It's actually also a fundraiser for after school teen programs. So Desolate Entertainment worked with the Chase Park Advisory Council and the In the Parks organization here in Chicago to put on this haunted house in collaboration with members of the after school program. So 50% of all of the profits for this event go towards the after-school teen programs. And a lot of the teens have been involved in a lot of the work that's been done. So this, for being a fundraising haunted house, I mean, it sounds like you wouldn't expect, you, you wouldn't expect a lot, but this place is incredible. It's probably one of the scarier haunted houses I've been through. I mean, that's not saying much because I can't go through many haunted houses, but the amount of work that went into this and everything that our friends did to this haunt was incredible with the amount of time they had and not having a lot of money to put on. Like they didn't have the money to put on the kind of haunted houses you would see that are open profiting year round. Like, I don't know, the basement in Naperville or house of torment or any of those but for what they were able to do they did an incredible job and i honestly think this is the next great haunted house in the city because there really aren't any haunted houses within actual city limits and knowing that this goes towards a really good cause of helping out the after school program i absolutely think you should be going into this and take your family take Tell your friends, tell everybody about it. So this is obviously their first year doing it and they really want, you know, any, they're really excited to be working on it. They were excited to let us come check it out beforehand. So essentially the story goes that this old house was found and it turns out the owner had been, was a doctor 
that had his license revoked when it was discovered he had been performing experiments on the pa- on patients in his own home. So, it's fun theme, great job, everything looks fantastic. Um, so, go check out The Park After Dark, uh, located at the pool deck in Chase Park in Andersonville. Uh, they're open 7 p.m. to midnight, Friday and Saturdays, now through November 3rd, which is my birthday. Um, you can find them on Facebook at The Park After Dark, Chase Park, Chicago. They're also on Instagram at The Park After Dark, Chicago. Entry is $12 plus fees, and then you can get tickets either in person or you can pre-order them through Eventbrite. Um, the link's on their social media pages. And... Um, if you tell them that you heard about this haunted house through the Drunken Uncultured podcast, you might get a chance to meet Chuckles the Clown, but honestly, I don't actually know how busy he is and what he does in his spare time, so I don't know. Uh, good luck with that. Um, can you survive a walk in the park? Go check out Park After Dark Chicago. All right, so that was the episode. You can follow all of our shenanigans and watch while we act as a beer social media account that masquerades as a podcast. Yeah, we have all the socials, as you know. Um, So keep in touch with us. Say hi. We like friends and uh, come hang out here. All right, that was the episode. You can keep up with all of our lives and... Drunken shenanigans. Drunken shenanigans on social media and the interwebs. Yes, we are, for first and foremost, a beer Instagram pretending to be a podcast Instagram. That's accurate. Yeah, I would say so. Um, so come follow all of our socials. We have all of them. All of them. Uh, we're... Drunken and Cultured Podcast on the Facebook. We are Drunk Uncultured on Twitter. Because Drunk and Uncultured was too long of a name. We are on Instagram as Drunk and Uncultured. And we have a Gmail account slash email, I guess. Gmail is not the right word. That's Gmail is the right word. Is it? Okay. Um, We have an email account on Gmail. Uh, if you want to contact us about any opinions you have, things you want to hear, things that are too long for Twitter, like two hundred longer than 280 280 characters. characters. Or, you know, you just want to say hi. Yeah. So that's drunkanduncultured at gmail.com. We have a kind of website that is drunkandunculturedpodcast.com. Eventually will be a real website. Hopefully. Or maybe never. Maybe you know. not. It might just be something that we own the, the, the domain to and never actually use. <laughs> I make a Spotify playlist for every episode. She so. does. So listen to it. Subscribe. Let Steph feel fulfilled in life and it's validate called, her. It's called Drunk and Uncultured Music. We're on Spotify. And, and it's a good playlist. I listen, I listen to it all the time. I change it every couple of weeks because it's whatever we're listen to, listening to or like it's themed around the episode yeah, sometimes. It's really good usually. Always. Shouldn't say usually. She gave me a mean look. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, we both have our individual socials. Stephanie is at underscore Stephen Color. And Lindsay is at Lindsay Sold Out. So if you like the show, please go online, um, on whatever your favorite podcast streaming service is. Or if we're, you know, reaching you... If you're listening to this illegally somehow, I don't know how. I don't know how. Just, like, subscribe, rate us, like us, leave a review, whatever floats your boat. If we're reaching you, you know, telepathically, just, uh, reach out back at us. 